Welcome to Still Here, a show dedicated to exploring the inspirations and motivations helping true believers and builders push through the bear market and usher in the next wave of Web3 innovation and adoption. I'm Alexander Guy, and it's a privilege today to talk to Grace Blunt. Grace is co-founder of Unlonely.app, a Web3 live streaming platform turning lonely viewers into an engaged community through gamified on-chain features. She has degrees from UPenn and LBS, spent five years at Google and YouTube in operations and content partnerships, and then left to join the world of Web3. She She then has worked at Common Protocol, Fabric Ventures, and Bright Moments before starting Unlonely with her younger brother. Grace, welcome to the show. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. I think, um, first of all, in that bio, if I may, uh, the concept of starting a company in Web3 is pretty daunting in general, but the concept of doing that also with a family member, in this case, your younger brother, is particularly (laughs) interesting and maybe unique. I I don't know. I want to hear about your sort of crypto origin story, how you came to this space, what brought you here, and we'll we'll get to that for sure. Yeah. what is it like? What is it like to build a company with uh, with your brother? <laughs> Honestly, it's been great. It's been actually overall just like an extremely positive experience, probably better than I could have imagined. It was never in my predictions for my life whatsoever. I didn't think that we would really ever overlap <laughs> on like interests. We're super different. Like anyone who knows Brian online or like has met him in real life, like he's a very sweet human being. And I, I genuinely love him as a sister must, uh, but he's polarizing, you know, and he, and he likes to stir things up. He likes to cause extra drama on the internet sometimes. And we really could not be more different in that way. But I think that's like some of those things like are like, we balance each other out so well. We're extremely complimentary. And then the fact that we, you know, grew up together, have that underlying sense of trust and like, you know, know that neither one of us is here to screw each other over just helps us get to, I don't know, make progress and like really listen to each other. Yeah, I I can see that. I mean, like in general, complimentary founders are usually like, like at least in my experience, like the best kind of relationships Mm -hmm. and teams. And like when you already have that, like essentially a lifetime of uh, sort of built up uh, relationship, it can can be potentially easier to navigate some of the challenging bits of of, of like founding a company and stuff. I guess like what I wonder though is like, were you, was Web3 and like crypto something that both of you were interested in? Or like, did one of you pull the other into this? Like, how did that happen? Or is it just like something that developed organically? Yeah, so that that is a funny story um, and kind of goes into my crypto origin story a little bit. Basically, TLDR, I played Google for five years. I, no shade to Google, loved my time at the company, worked with great people, you know, great perks, all these things. But I was really feeling my brain like atrophying. Like I just was not, there was nothing in that environment that was motivating me to challenge myself or grow. I just felt really stuck in this kind of like constant cycle of bureaucracy and politics. Um, so I really felt like I need to make a change to get myself out of that rut. And when I left Google and I decided I wanted to move abroad as well, I, I now live in London. I've living in the Bay Area for four or five years. Um, I ended up in crypto because I had a really good friend. I had like probably one of my kind of most admired friends from my university times had founded a company in crypto, Dylan, who's now building Common Protocol. And that was my like first kind of web three job that I ended up taking. He was like, we need somebody who has big tech experience, can help us scale, 
we just raised a seed round um, and we need to like grow marketing community and all that stuff. And I really jumped into that, like at the deep end, had no idea what DAO was, had really no idea what an NFT was. This was um, April, 2020 or something like that. So I jumped in at the deep end. And then when I joined, I introduced Brian to some of the guys that I was working with on the team. Brian at the time was CTO of like a life sciences, social media company, very web two, but in the kind of also early stage tech scene. And one of those guys ended up poaching Brian for MEM protocol, which is an Andreessen-backed social startup as well. So Brian was founding engineer there. So kind of, I guess, yeah, long story short, I joined crypto kind of as a means of just like getting myself into a more innovative space. And then as I learned more about crypto, I also was like, oh, wow, this is actually an amazing potential solution to all the problems that I've been seeing working at like the largest centralized platform in the tech industry, working at YouTube and actually like serving creators and seeing their day-to-day stresses and struggles and, you know, kind of fears of living on these platforms that they don't have any ownership of. And being able to be like, oh, well, okay, this could actually be like a feasible alternative. And so that's kind of what kept me in crypto at that stage. And then Brian ended up having his own route and he then convinced me to join the company with him. So I don't know. There's a little bit of like back and forth there. Uh, (laughs) That's sort of the long and short of of our journeys. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's just interesting. I think that, you know, one of the there's just like never any standard answer to like, yeah. how did you get, you know, why, why are you in crypto? I guess like that's a really, I, I want to tease a little bit or like pull out a bit more on this idea of um, like the problems facing creators. Yeah. Right? And like, cause I think that, that, you know, there's kind of like different cohorts of like crypto builders, at least from what I've seen. It's like, there's kind of like the early, you know, 2017, 2019 group, which is largely like a financial kind of, person like somebody who's like motivated by like for sure obviously the financial independence yeah. that can come just still from, i think like, like the most developed use case that we have in crypto so far right so right that's actually let's put a let's put, let's put a point in that we'll, we'll come back to it but then there's like i'd say like maybe from like mid 2019 to like now a new wave of like builders although there's still tons of innovation of course happening on the finance side and like, you know, DeFi and, and things like this. Like, I think this is called, I've been calling it like cultural crypto. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's like the wrong way to put I it. I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that or think that. Like, it's interesting to see like the <clears throat> like the narratives that bring a lot of people to crypto really, really resonate on like this creator side of things. So like, is that something that you felt, like, did you already feel the frustration from creators when you were at like YouTube or Google on like kind of like this dependency on centralized platforms? A million. Talk talk about some of those problems directly. Yeah. So basically I was on a team that managed a portfolio of top creators at YouTube. So everyone that it was sort of like, oh, if you had millions of subscribers and generated X amount of revenue for the platform, then you unlocked this feature of like being able to have like a real person that you could talk to at YouTube and not just existing in the void of like, there's this big tech platform that I spend my life on. And I, you know, sometimes I can raise a support email ticket or something like that. And maybe it'll get responded to, but really it's going to be like generated AI chat or something like that. So yes, I spent like two, three years talking to these people and pretty much hearing them complain about their experiences on the platform day in and day out. Some were, you know, like a little bit savvier and knew that if they were maybe more positive about the platform, then they could unlock more opportunities there. Um, But a lot of them were jaded. They'd been on the platform like 10 plus years and were like, 
I have spent my life building this thing up and I still have absolutely like their number one frustration was with the algorithm because the algorithm essentially decides if you live or die on the platform. Right. And so they'd be like, I used to get millions of views consistently on anything that I would put out. I have this huge subscriber base. I'm now like barely hitting 10 K views or something like that. Like, how is it possible that I have 10 million subscribers and only 10,000 are watching this video that I'm putting out and I like haven't changed anything about my content style or anything like that. And so like there was a whole conversation, like we have a whole set of talking points that would be like, well, the algorithm, it follows the audience. So maybe you need to be more tuned into like the trends that your audiences are interested in, or maybe your demographics have shifted or, you know, maybe people have gotten tired of you. Like, you know, like there are all of these sort of points that we could massage them through, but ultimately there was, there was nothing that we could say, like, no single person at YouTube knew how the algorithm worked either. And it, it changed, like it evolved on a day-by-day basis, depending on what we decided to promote or not. Right. So like now everything is like short form vertical content. So like if you really lean into doing YouTube shorts, that will benefit your channel more than if you do like super long for content content, that's all that you do. And there was all these new policies coming out around like, you know, very kind of specific and nuanced content policies. And if you cursed within the first five seconds of your video, you would likely just be like demonetized or shadow banned. But you didn't know that you'd like have to kind of trial and error. But if you cursed like 10 minutes into the video, then like, it, you know, it wasn't so bad or something like that. You know, if something was like blurred out, then maybe that could be demonetized. But if you sort of just showed a side angle that was artsy and it could be considered like educational or artistic, then that was fine. It was like all of these crazy lines that no one knew how to navigate. And also YouTube couldn't release them because as, as soon as you put that down in writing, people will abuse it and people will, you know, game the system and try to find like, what is the like exact line that I can get up to? So yeah, it was just a kind of crazy thing to experience from the inside and really see how much this was like a driving anxiety of all of these people that live their life in public and on the internet. And then they would just kind of like bounce back and forth between all the platforms, right? They'd be like, oh, I'm like, you know, my views are decreasing on YouTube. So I'm going to switch over to Instagram. Oh, like now... TikTok is this huge thing. I'm going to switch all my energy to TikTok, but I need to be everywhere all at once. Like I need to be like constantly pumping out content on every single platform to make sure I have the coverage, to make sure I'm like kind of diversifying my content assets to some degree and staying relevant. And like, hopefully one of those will, will work. (laughs) And it just, it felt extremely stressful. Like working with them, I was like, wow, I have a lot of respect for people who have made it in this industry because honestly, it's a shit ton of work. It's so much work. And it's just, a lot of just that constant anxiety, basically. I think that, you know, there's, geez, there's a lot in that answer. I want to, I want to unpack a bit, but like, I think like broadly speaking, like it's like a, an emotional experience Mm. to like put yourself out there in this way online, right? You're, I mean, extremely well documented, the, the level of abuse that, you know, influencers and creators face, you know, you have the ultimate, like, what if nobody cares? Like, you know, kind of thought in the back of your mind, I imagine you have extreme pressures. If you're like, you know, advertising other people's work, you know, if a products and stuff like that. And if like your views go down, then you can't charge as much. And then you lose your advertiser. There's, there's a lot of like, um, emotion and stress baked into the creator lifestyle. and And I think that one of the things that clearly comes out of the the, the you know, sort of like what you were talking about is like 
the the seemingly arbitrary nature of some of these like algorithmic decisions. Yeah. Like the the concept that like even the people at Google and YouTube like basically have no idea what the thing is even doing and how it's making its decisions. And then you have the like the concept of transparency. And as soon as Google was actually transparent about this, well, then people would try to like basically exploit this. Yep. And so then you have, you know, whole industries of like, you know, educators, quote unquote, trying to like coach people through these rules that are not actually rules and like da, 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 and all this stuff, you know, case studies and Mr. Beast and how like his channel has grown and, and content, you know, sort of machine has, has, has expanded and things like that. And it all feels like, there's all this effort going into simply trying to understand a thing that is at the end of the day, pretty random and how it makes its decisions. And I guess like, you know, it's not just like Google and YouTube, like Spotify does this with musicians Mm -hmm. and like how they compensate artists on that side of things, you know, pennies for millions of streams and stuff like this, you know? Um, Oh, I was unknown. And then I got added to some Spotify curated playlists, but like some other artist doesn't. So it's like, again, this, this randomness or seemingly like, like um, luck of the draw, like there's, there's no rhyme or reason to some of these decisions in like web two that I think is, um, can be, can be massively frustrating. Yeah. And also like, you know, the algorithm can deem you interesting or relevant for one video, two videos maybe, or like one song or two songs. And then you could just like be hidden away into oblivion again for who knows what reason. So yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, I guess like, then I have two kind of questions at least on off of that. Um, I guess first question is like, how does web three and like crypto rails, how, how do they, how do we, how do we solve those problems? Those, those problems specifically. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit more about how like the, the industry can either is already happening or like can in the future continue to try to like make this stuff a little bit more transparent, a little bit more understandable and a little bit fairer, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't have like the end all be all answer to this, but I think, I think one very, very critical issue that sort of was driving a lot of the uh, like bad behavior, I guess we can call it in web two platforms or bad incentives, I think is a better way to put it is advertisers. Like the reason why these platforms exist and make money is because they make money from ads. And that is also the way that creators make money. But the reason why you have to have like millions of people view your content is because that ad conversion rate kind of works off of that. And advertisers are willing to pay for bigger views and certain views targeting certain demographics. And advertisers are sensitive to certain types of content being shown in videos, depending on what exactly their target demographics are. So I think essentially what I saw at YouTube was like, there was the platform and the advertiser on one side in terms of the stakeholders and the platform ultimately had to serve the advertiser because that is their lifeline. Like that's their bloodline. That's how they make their money. And then the creators and the users were sort of just there to be leveraged in this system. And the creator had to be, you know, motivated to just like make content that hits as many eyeballs as possible. And then the users are sort of like sucked into this user experience of like, I am just going down a content rabbit hole because I am an eyeball that needs to be served ads. Like, and that's, that's ultimately what these come out to. And like, yeah, maybe some platforms do a slightly better job of it. They make it a little bit more entertaining or they help you learn something maybe. And they kind of try to package it up into these things. But like, that is the experience in web two. And that is why also we have, I think all of these hugely divisive social issues or 
mental health issues that are um, like especially impacting younger children that have more and more access to the internet. And it's, it's like honestly turned into a very scary beast. I understand that I don't think this was the point of any of the social platforms when they were first created. You know, I don't think they could have like predicted that this is where it would have ended up. But one of those sort of like, I don't know, final straw points that I had at YouTube was well, actually there were a few. The, one of the first weeks that I joined YouTube, I don't know if you heard about this, there was a shooter that came to campus and like basically came in with a gun looking for our CEO at the time, Susan Wojcicki, and started firing on people who were like on campus having lunch. And whoa, no, this was, yeah, yeah, this was kind of a, a crazy piece of news. Um, and it turned out to be like a disgruntled creator who had been uploading stuff to YouTube that was like getting consistently, I think either demonetized or taken off of the platform for, I think probably like legitimately abusive things. Like I think they weren't like maybe incorrect decisions to have been made, but basically, you know, when you're servicing millions, billions of people and they, I don't know, they, they feel like they have, they're entitled to share what they want to share and have like freedom of speech or whatever it is like, and then, then they call it like censorship or anything like that. You create so many enemies Um, And so that was like, whoa, I joined this company thinking like, it's only doing positive things for the world, you know, like, ah, techno optimists, like Google spreading information, right, you know, literally, I drank the Kool-Aid so hard. And that was one of my first experiences with being like, oh, my God, I am barricaded in an office room (laughs) for like four hours wondering if we're under attack, like not having any information as to what is going on there. Yeah, I I kind of have forgotten about that memory, but but talking about it. Sorry, I've surfaced it. Sorry, I didn't mean to surface it. No, 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 don't worry. But But I think that what you're you're bringing up is this. um, I'm just sort of thinking like, okay, so YouTube is in a position and like most web to social platforms, even if it's not video are in this position where they effectively need user-generated content to even exist. But to monetize that, you know, there's this famous Tim Cook line, if, if a product is free, you are the product, right? Which means that the eyeballs that come to that content or the, the clicks or the likes or the retweets or whatever it is that, that a post or a creator generates are directly proportional to the type of advertisers that will come to a platform. And then the, the, the actual people that the company wants to make happy are not the creators yes. who yes. are like the lifeblood of what they're trying to do. Correct. It's the advertisers. Yeah. And I think this is, you know, th- this dynamic, the, the power dynamic feels fundamentally flawed where the creator thinks they're developing a community. The, the creator thinks I am building a relationship with my audience they are coming to YouTube for me or they are coming to whatever Twitch for me. They, they're coming to see me do something. And the platform is thinking, no, 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 Like you're not, th- that's not the relationship that matters here. The relationship that matters is us and our advertisers. And that creates a huge amount of tension that ultimately can explode in extremely uh, scary and, and potentially, you know, like life-threatening, literally life-threatening kind of ways. I mean, the, the, yeah. the, 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 there's a huge problem with like, you know, uh, mental health and suicide among creators. I know this has been documented like by a number of researchers and like um, uh, Taylor Lawrence at the New York Times has talked about this specifically, this idea of like, oh no, I nobody likes me anymore. I'm, you know, 
this is the end. Yes. This is yeah. like really a toxic stew, you know, it's a, a really a fundamentally messed up relationship. And at least for me, one of the ways that Web3 can solve at least part of some of these problems is I don't need to be one. I don't need to be at the mercy of the platform in order for me to uh, create this relationship with my audience, but also my audience, the fact that I'm actually developing this community around me allows me to monetize and live even with like a small cohort of people totally. who are excited by what I'm doing. Totally. So you don't need millions of people in your community to like basically make a living because of the, like um, the way compensation can work, the way that like actually like rewarding good content can work in this yeah. space. Is, yeah, that, is that fair? Am I oversimplifying? No, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. I think, yeah, it ties into sort of like, you know, Legion's a hundred true fans or anything like that, where it's like, Oh, you can have a much, much, much more tight knit, niche community, more effectively monetize them, develop real relationships with them. And then that also allows you to kind of like not have to just turn yourself into the most mainstream version of yourself. Like you can just be you focused in on your very, very, very specific area of the world that you're interested in and just do that rather than having to just like appeal to a hundred million teenagers or something like that. Like, which, you know, he's just like, then you really have to go the Mr. Beast route, which I think like actually Mr. Beast, I mean, now I think he's sort of regarded as a, you know, a really, really smart and strategic person in this industry. Yes. But at the time that he was creating the videos, like, I mean, I remember watching those videos like five, 10 years ago and being like, this stuff is junk. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> what can I do to just like make people, I, I don't know, like just throw money at something and just generate as many views as I possibly can because like, what a weird thing. I'm going to like stuff a hundred Ferraris into a mall and like see what happens or something. So well, this uh, yeah. is actually, this, this is a great point as well, is that when Creators are basically incentivized to cater to the lowest common denominator. Exactly. To cater to potentially everyone. Yes. There, the quality of work is like, just diminishes to drop. very it's quickly. To drop. Yeah, yeah. The, this low and lowest common denominator in social media is something I I love talking about because I think it's also dumbing down our society, like just overall <laughs> in the long term. Well, but this is like there, then we can start getting into like, you know, some of the emotional aspects of Web3 and like certainly why I'm passionate about it. It sounds yeah. like you are, you yeah. are too, because like, yeah, I yeah. truly yeah. believe that a more, like <laughs> a more equitable um, society basically doesn't, doesn't treat people, both the audience and the creator, like they're dumb, right? Yeah. Like we want people to create content. I think it's great. The explosion in creativity that is enabled by the internet you know, is, is a positive thing, right? Like people should be able to make a living off of their creative pursuits or have a side hustle or whatever they want to do. You know, you should be able to profit from this and develop an audience and a, and a, and a you know, following. But because of the fact that like the incentives are totally screwed up as to like what types of content you you know, is, is rewarded, you know, both literally, literally and figuratively, mm -hmm. again, by the rather arbitrary algorithm most of yeah. the time. Yeah, it's like it, it limits like the brain power or like it assumes that everybody's dumb, basically. Yeah. Like it assumes that that everyone doesn't know what the hell they want to watch. And so they're just like, oh, I'm just endlessly scrolling like a yeah. zombie. Yeah. You yeah. know, this is bad, right? Like This is bad. This is bad. I do. I think it's terrible. <laughs> and, you know, I, I find myself in that rabbit hole all the time, all the time. Like I find myself. To, it's just so easy. You know, you want to relax. 
and they have all these like super PhD psychologists that are working on all of the little features that make your brain go ding. And then all of a sudden, two hours later, you're like, oh my God, I feel disgusting. <laughs> I remember reading this book by this guy near IL. He was like a Harvard researcher and like then started working for like startups and stuff like that as a consultant and stuff. He wrote this book called Hooked. Ooh, and basically yeah. what it was, was a, a guide for how to build products that develop like psychological dependency. <laughs> and I remember reading it at the time and thinking like, oh yeah, this is so smart. And like looking yeah. back at it, you know, after 10 years, you know, 10 years on, I'm like, this is fucked up. Like, this is really yeah. messed up. Like, why, why are you teaching people how to develop dependency in their like product development cycles? It's really kind of messed up. And so like, not to say that people couldn't become addicted, quote unquote, to like, content created in web three they certainly could yeah but i think that because of the fact at the very least because of the fact that the incentives are different because of the 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 relationship is different because the the creator can actually be a true owner of their content and to be honest the social graph that they're developing with that content yeah there's a lot less like room for like a publicly traded company to just like be like okay we need to increase profits so we're gonna do things with our algorithm that enable certain things. Up the addiction levels. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah. And this is actually, I wanted to talk about Unlonely specifically a bit Mm -hmm. because, um, so we, we just, at Syrian, we just launched uh, our our extension um, and we, we, we did a live stream event and we sort of like simulcasted across a number of platforms, but we simulcast one of the platforms we chose was Unlonely. And I was so excited to use it. To, to test it out, to see how it would work, the quality of conversations. You have this really cool feature. We, we don't need to unpack so much of the features, but this thing of a non-fungible clip, an NFC, which is yeah. so cool to me. But what I'm curious about is like, I'm reading your tagline and like, I'm coming at it from like a marketer's, you know, marketer's okay. mindset. Totally. Like I'm reading your tagline, which is like your, your cozy space on the internet. Yeah. And I think cozy is an interesting word, particularly as a segue from what we just talked about, yeah. right? Because yeah. cozy... I, when I read it first, I thought one meaning, but now hearing you talk about this, I think it actually means like safe, right? Like a safe (laughs) space on the internet is another way to read that. Is that, is that accurate? Like, does that make sense? Yes. Um, I think all of the above. I, yeah. Like, I think I, we just wanted to create like a fun, I like safe is the right word. And like, I know that also cozy maybe has sort of like it kind of might think like small or intimate and that's also okay you know like I don't think we're not trying to make like the world's biggest live stream rooms and get like a hundred million people onto a live stream at a single time like if it gets to that point and you know there's like an event that warrants that level of attention amazing super happy for that but like I've gotten so much more fulfillment from seeing these streamers build like their more intimate communities because you know a lot of people that we've been able to get on the platform so far they're not like huge streamers with existing audiences like that's a whole other game that we can also get into like the kind of platform wars of like well if i'm an influencer with x audience i will just like shop myself to every one of the platforms out there and be like which one of you wants to pay me the most and then i'll come to yours and that's kind of the way that it works in a lot of these it's just like i have to throw money at a big twitch streamer if i want them to even look at me um, so we haven't gone down that route because we don't have cash to burn <laughs> and like, and I don't think that it's like ultimately a long-term strategy because these people don't really have any 
loyalty to your, your platform. They might sign an exclusivity deal for like six months, a year or whatever, something like that. But then as soon as someone else gives them a better offer or, oh, actually my audience is like more on this platform, they'll jump, they'll leave. So anyway, that's a bit of an aside. Um, but yes, to answer your question, like, I think we thought about that. And I think you had also mentioned maybe in your doc or something, like there's no mention of web three in there either. And that, that was intentional too. Like, yes, like at the moment, the product is incredibly crypto native and, you know, to, to interact, you need to log in with wallet. Although now you can log in with Privy. So you can just use an email address and be able to like, kind of be a part of that experience now. Um, but we don't want this to just be like, oh, the differentiation point is that it's, it's a web three version. And like, that's what makes it special. It's, I think what we're building is very like community up and like differentiation based on product feature and the experience that it then brings for both the streamer and the viewers in the community that kind of comes from there. I'm a big, like, I guess like this, you can't be a maxi on this, but like I'm <laughs> kind of like a maxi on language and the importance of language, mm. especially in web three or like in crypto, because for a long time, we just have like been had a hard time explaining and aligning like what we mean when we say different things. I mean, uh, even even the seed phrase, something like fairly mm, fundamental mm. to like a self-custody you know, kind of industry, like yeah. you can find many, many, many different ways that like major companies in this space will 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 call the seed phrase, right? So you have like secret recovery phrase, pass yeah, phrase, seed right. phrase, one word, seed phrase, two words. So like right. we've had a, lo- a really hard time as a space, like aligning on like the appropriate way to call something. Yeah. So like, I, I kind of think that this is a, a really interesting um like area of innovation, like just language, mm-hmm. like how we call things. Yeah. And I, I sort of think that, you know, what you're talking about, um, something we've been interested in, I, I've been really inspired by the the, the boys club team mm-hmm. um, in like the way that they talk about what they, they're talking about the new internet. So they like barely ever talk about or even mention the word web three. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is actually um, a potentially more exciting way to talk about the industry because yeah. what it actually means is not, okay, there's this line in the sand, right? There's this, this like dividing line, uh, web two over here, web three over there, you know, right. it's actually like the fulfillment. We talked about this in, in one of the other episodes of still here with, with Weiju Weiju from, uh, from interface. What he was talking about was like, this is like the web three is like the, the true fulfillment of the internet itself, yeah. not some different thing. Right. And so like when I read your your tagline, especially now with this context, you know, it's like you're talking about like basically doing a better version of the Internet. You're not talking about like, oh, this is like, you know, you don't need to talk about the crypto rails and the yeah. the, the, the what an NFC, what an NFT is, what an NFC is yeah. in the context yeah. of uh, Unlonely. Like you're just making the Internet the way it should be. Right. And like that's kind of to me, at least an inspiring message that for the whole industry is like, you know, we get branded as everything from shadowy super coders or whatever Elizabeth Warren called us to like criminals and, and, you know, money launderers, all this kind of stuff. And although bad actors certainly exist, I mean, we are, we are actually see (laughs) them, but that doesn't define. Well, that's true. (laughs) Tax evaders and uh, all that kind of stuff. But I think that a lot of the reasons why people are so excited, at least the people in this space or the people using this technology is like, it sort of feels like, the way the internet should be to a yeah. degree, if I can yeah. be not like too hyperbolic. Um, is that fair? Is it is that like a fair assessment? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's like the interesting point about the language is that Web3 
was supposed to encapsulate that same meaning, right? It was like web one, web two, web three. So like the progression, like kind of aspect of it is supposed to be inherent in there, but I guess it's- Read, write, own. Exactly. Like it's sort of taken on a life of its own now where it does feel like a, like a web two versus web three, like, oh, you know, they're enemies and they're opposing sides and it really shouldn't. Like it, it should just be like, yeah, exactly. Like kind of the internet reaching its potential or getting closer to its potential and kind of like, maybe it's going to reach an asymptote of some sort of like the internet taps out at how great it can be. Who knows, you know, tech, <laughs> tech will take on another stratosphere. Um, but yeah, like I, and I think it's interesting too, like what you said about being specific. Like when I, when I go to web two crowds, like I, I, w- I did an MBA program and I'm part of an incubator, like founder program there. And I had to go to a pitch night recently. And I'm obviously the only crypto related company. Like everyone is doing very, on the ground business stuff, you know, some, some guys doing like a biotechy thing. Someone is doing like a real estate CRM and you're like, nice, solid business models. Um, and then I have to come in there and be like, I'm making a crypto rails, like Twitch live streaming platform. And they're like, (laughs) and actually one of the first things that everyone gets confused about is like, you said you were web three. I thought you said crypto or is that blockchain you know what I like they get so tripped up about those things and in my head I'm like those are all pretty much the same like yes they have slightly different connotations I would think about blockchain more as the underlying technology I would think about crypto maybe more in relation to cryptocurrency I would think about web3 as more of the kind of like broader umbrella term but at this point to people in the space they kind of all mean the same sort of thing right like they signal the same thing yeah ish and they were really like so wait, are you a cryptocurrency? Like, uh, wait, what? And like, they just could not really go beyond that. And so I, I don't know, like that was something I found interesting is like, a, oh, right. I, I like, it's good to zoom out every once in a while and see like what could just be really confusing to the, to the non-Web3 user. We have a bad habit in this space of like thinking that- oh, Everyone- Have you seen that meme where it's that. like people- yeah. Yeah, exactly. People are partying and then like there's the guy in the corner and it's like badly drawn. It's like they don't even know that blah, 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 blah. You know this meme that that I'm talking about? Like we have this really bad habit of being like, well, everybody knows what an NFT is. Yeah, yeah. And like people are mostly like they think it's like the the, if they've heard of it, it's because of something like Bored Ape. And they're like, why is that stupid monkey image worth $10 million? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like they, they don't, they haven't spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff. And actually this is like my other big maxi thing is like, this is why like UX needs to improve so much. Oh, totally. uh, and actually you mentioned Privy. Um, I was talking to, to Ongi the other day and like mm-hmm. the, the, what Privy does is it basically makes it much easier to like get into this stuff without like, and I think that's an important thing. The login experience, the connect experience is just like so fundamental Oh, yeah. I mean, you tell somebody to like make a wallet and they're immediately on like high alert. Like what? Why do I I'm putting yeah. my money into this? They're like, am I connecting a credit card? Or are you stealing? Trust me. Money? I know that problem yeah, yeah. Uh, fundamentally. It's, yeah, like, true, it's, true, uh, true. That problem is hard. Yeah. But it's like it, it, I think that broadly speaking, the, the level of sophistication and understanding that people have outside of this space of what actually we're doing is effectively linked to price charts of two tokens. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. the BTC and Ethereum, Ethereum yeah. and and ETH rather. And it's linked to news stories like Beeple sells composite image for $75 million. And people are like, who is Beeple? Yeah, or SBF in in jail and, you know. Right, right, or that, or that. Oh, there's another crypto, another crypto entrepreneur who's like a money lender. That's that's like my dad in our family. My dad in our family carries that flag. He waves that flag high and flat. Like he will forward every New York Times article that's about a crypto scam to our family chat every time it comes out. I think my my mom asked me, it's now a year since this happened, but when mm-hmm. SBF and like that whole story broke, I think yeah. she asked me if I, she texted me if I knew Sam Blankman Freud or something like that. And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> Sorry, mom, I don't know him. I uh, never heard of him. Like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> um, but but no, I have not heard of, or I do not know, yeah. you know, Sam Begman Freed. Anyway, I actually have a funny SPF story. <laughs> I don't want to get us to this is If you're uh, comfortable to tell it. Yeah, no, it's, it's basically a friend of mine was actually in a close friend group with him in their undergrad days. Um, and he had been telling me, he was like, yeah, you know, we'd been in this group chat and we were talking about this wedding of one of our, you know, close friend group circle that was happening. And Sam was talking about how he was going to charter a helicopter there and he was going to ball out and it was going to be amazing. And then kind of like the weeks leading up to the wedding, he just disappeared. And we were like, where, what happened? <laughs> like, where is Sam coming to this wedding? Didn't show up to the wedding. And then all the news basically broke <laughs> about everything. And I was like, wow. Well, wow. There you go. At least he had a good excuse. At least he had a good yes. excuse for bailing, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, I just, I, I don't know, like, getting back a little bit to, like, the Unlonely Mission, it, it mm-hmm. just feels, like, so important that, like, not only, because what is, I think is, going back to the language especially, is, like, this safe space, this cozy area is, like, so important that creators have this safe space where they yeah. can like have yeah. much more control and ownership of what they're what they're doing but also it's important that like the audience also has a bit of safe space where they yeah. know they're not being exploited as well totally you know? and again like about this this dilemma and so like i actually want to talk a little bit about your like content strategy yeah. if I can call it that. Let's talk so like about the, way, the way i first heard about y'all mm-hmm. the way that i first heard about y'all was through this concept of Love on leverage. Can you talk a little bit about love on leverage? Just what Uh, it is real quick. Love on leverage. Honestly, maybe the two most fun weeks of work I've ever ever had in my life. (laughs) Love on leverage was a live streamed dating show that we put together that originally spun out of an idea that another streamer on our platform had just done. She had kind of been like testing a couple different content formats and she was like, Ooh, I'm going to stream like me chatting with this guy literally on zoom, like nothing serious, but sort of like say it's our first date. And like, I think the guy kind of came into it like with some interest, but you know, they were both in on it. They weren't like, they both knew that it was being streamed, you know, it was all consensual and all of that and kind of just like for the lulls. And we tuned into the stream and we're just like, we were dying laughing. Like we were like, it's so cringy. Like, you know, the guy would say something incredibly not PC or something like that. And we'd be like, oh, why would you say that? Like, dude, you are digging yourself into a hole here. And then you you would see kind of the ebbs of, and then there was like a turnaround moment where like he opened up and was a little bit more vulnerable. And she'd be like, oh, wow, that's actually really sweet. Like, I feel like I'm really getting to know you. And people in the chat were 
dying at this and they were like wanting to short they were sort of saying like short short the stock i don't want to say their name in case of privacy issues but they were like short him short him like this isn't going well and then they were like oh long long this guy like he is so gonna make it like they are totally gonna date and so i think just like seeing those interactions in the chat and then us being like this is such a easily engaging content format i mean like people love a dating show right like people love being nosy they love the reality stuff it's like i uh, my guilty pleasure is definitely some of these reality tv dating shows um but then like kind of do that in crypto and create a feature that like crypto degens love <laughs> and sort of make it gamified and also give them the chance to maybe like make a little money from it if they vote in the correct direction um and that's sort of that was like the inception of the entire idea we we Brian and our engineer built the feature in two weeks. I like recruited all the the kind of participants and contestants and put it into like 10 dates that we streamed over two weeks. Um, and we just launched it with kind of no idea what the reception was going to be. At this point, we were pretty irrelevant on crypto Twitter. Like our first go to market had really been big in the Farcaster world. And so we had a lot of adoption from kind of like builders, developers, kind of you know, people who are more like in the I'm a big thinker in crypto kind of kind of space. And then this really opened us up, I think, to like meme D Jenny crypto Twitter, which is exactly what we wanted, exactly what we needed. Um, and it was so fun. Like we had 10 blind first dates that I match made. Basically, we set them up. They joined a Google Meet. So it was all completely virtual. And then people traded on Lonely whether or not they thought that the date was going well or not, like whether or not the girl would say yes to a second date with the guy. Um, and over the span of the two weeks, we had like $20,000 in trading volume. We made our first revenue, so we took a 5% transaction fee for the protocol. Um, and there were all of these, it was kind of like just the building of the lore, like the people who were watching just knew all the inside jokes and then, you know, could reference them and build upon them. and talk about them and all the side chats and stuff. Um, and it was just a really fun, like fun experiment, honestly. Like that's what it was. It was an experiment. We had no idea where it would land. We hadn't really financialized at that point yet. Like we were just still working on like, how do we get the product and how do we get users and how do we onboard streamers? And we were trying to do it in this really like, I think like just like kind of grunt effort kind of way. And this helped us like just catapult to like a new level where now I, when I go to conferences and things, people are like, love on leverage. Oh my God. I love that show. You know, like they're like, I made my mom watch it. <laughs> yeah. It's like what I, what I liked about it is like, it was a very funny take on like a thing that people want to do on crypto, which is basically bet on stuff, mm -hmm. trade on stuff. I think that a lot of people, especially like the DJ types, like they it combined like a lot of things that like psychologically people want to do and especially people in crypto. Yeah. But I think also, you know, again, going back to like the safe space thing, there's something like inherently um, endearing about like a date that people are watching. Right. Like like or whatever, you know, a, a conversation that people are watching. And so like for me, it was so like um, uh, fulfilling to like watch yeah. like people basically go through the awkwardness of a of a first date like yes. in real time yes. not just because it was funny but like you know what I mean? but also because like there is something like appealing about the like openness of that yeah. kind of you know like it's very vulnerable kind of I, yeah like i really exactly right? everyone who was willing to put themselves out there because you know like 
you were subjected to the <laughs> to, to the opinions of all these viewers. And, you know, we love our viewers, but we also tell the streamers, like, they're NPCs. Like, you should never take anything seriously when it's, like, an anonymous internet commenter. <laughs> but whether it's good or bad, you know, just, like, sort of take it all with a grain of salt. But also, I mean, like, the unruly viewers are, like, overwhelmingly very well-behaved and just, like, good people for the most part. That's good to know. That's good to hear and good to know in general. Yeah, I love that. So like, I'm looking forward to the next, the next unlonely native show. Yeah. <laughs> like whenever, whenever you guys come up with the next, I'm sure we'll be, we'll be we awesome. Are, we are deep in the planning. So if there are people listening to this podcast, if you'd be interested in participating on such a show, please do DM me at Grace Mike Juan on Twitter. <laughs> there you go. I, uh. I actually think that that might be a good a good stopping point here. I don't want to keep you too long. I know you've got tons of stuff going on, and like I've just enjoyed this conversation so much. And like, yeah, we're sweeping across a lot of the themes that that I think are important to me in this space. And like, so I just really want to say thank you for for jumping on, and uh, can't wait to see what Unlonely does next. So just like for anybody listening, you can DM Grace, <laughs> or if you want to go check out some live streams uh, on on Unlonely, it's unlonely.app. So. Uh, check it out and uh, grace thanks so much for joining thank you this has been so fun